You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring, and SunWiz, the creators of the powerful PV cell software. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid and The Driven, an EV-focused website. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, how are you? Very, very well, thank you, Giles. Sun is shining, spring's here, you know, life is good. Life is good. Look, we got a bit of a rainfall. We were hoping for a bit of a drenching over the weekend, but we just got a light touch. Oh. Um, the grass is back to drying out, and I'm going to have to get my water tanks filled this weekend. So there you oh, go. Is that right? Yeah, we've we've had a little bit of rain in Sydney, but um, um, but it's spring has definitely sprung down here. So uh, all the solar systems are going off their heads. It's uh, it's beautiful solar weather. You just must be just sitting down there looking at your little apps and all the outputs and things like that, and. <laughs> That's all we do, mate. Getting That's all too we excited. Do is just looking at little apps. <laughs> um, look, um, talking about apps, I suppose um, one of the big things about apps is also just um, measuring what's happening with your battery storage. Um, but um, look, a bit of a hurdle's been thrown in front of the battery storage industry uh, in this past week. I mean, look, we have seen this coming. It's the new standard that's been um, imposed by Standards Australia. Mm. Um, look. Um, it's it's an interesting look. I'm, help me out here, Nigel. Um, it's 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 um, look. It's, there's good it's, and bad. There's, there's good, good and bad. There's good and bad. One we yeah. did we did need a standard, and it was quite ridiculous that we didn't have a standard. But yes, um, it, there was true. There's, there was a, there were probably a few off the shelf standards we could have gotten from the European Union and from the United States, which were perfectly reasonable. Yeah. But the one we do have just seems to have just sort of dived into the deep end, or maybe the shallow end of the pool, and um, sort of hit its head in the floor. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It's just too damn restrictive, and um, it makes you wonder what people are thinking yeah look i mean the gen- general consensus that i'm hearing around the traps is that you know it's overly conservative in in a number of respects and you know i agree with you you know there's this is this is not rocket science it's not the first time it's been done and some of the implications are um are pretty significant for you know people trying to buy batteries or people trying to make batteries or people trying to install batteries so um it's it's not to be underestimated um um, I, I have uh, not read through the standard in great detail, but I have sat through numerous presentations on it over the past month or so and also watched a couple of really good analysis. Guy Stewart from um, Rainbow Power Company actually did a terrific little video where he pulled it apart in great detail. Um, and, um, and his verdict was? His his focus, like I think a lot of people, was on really on two things. One was the fireproof um, backing sheet requirement. That's a that's a pretty big change and has some pretty pretty big implications just from a you know from a practical sense when you're actually out on a on a home, trying to install a battery on a home you quite often have limited options as to where it can go and 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 if you're against any kind of um, or near any kind of uh, combustible material or near a, ha- near a habitable room you are now going to have to make that fireproof um, within a certain area around a battery um, and so that you know that adds time it adds cost and you know potentially puts a great big huge sheet of you know fiber cement sheet or something on someone 
someone's wall, which they may not necessarily want or like. Um, you know, the rationale is good. Um, you know, you don't want a combustible um, product uh, against a, a combustible material um, or a potentially combustible battery against a combustible wall, for example. Um, but, um, yeah, you let's, do have to... Let's take those lawnmowers and fuel cans and um, oh, well, other things out say, of the garage. You know, yeah, yeah, it's conservative to the nth degree. Um, um, but at least it's not a bunker, right? We are in bunker territory a year ago, so we've moved a little, a little bit ahead there. The other one that um, Guy um, spent a lot of detail talking about, which was a really interesting point, is that you know, this standard has kind of morphed some of the electrical standards together. And basically, simple version is it's assumed if you've got a high-voltage PV array that's connected, albeit through a whole lot of electronics, to a low-voltage battery, um, that low-voltage battery is now considered, in some scenarios, to be a high-voltage product in the event that there was a failure. So if you had 500 volts on the, on the solar array and only 48 on the battery and there was a catastrophic failure, then you might have 500 volts on the battery. Now, you know, around the rest of the world, they've all said, well, people are supposed to build things properly and there's isolation and there's all sorts of other things, so we're not going to consider them integrated. We're going to consider them separate. But in Australia, we've now decided that, well, in the worst possible case scenario, that might occur uh, if everybody completely failed. And so we're going to apply a whole lot of high-voltage standards or higher-voltage standards to low-voltage equipment. And that has big ramifications. It means, for example, some manufacturers who only use single-insulated cables in their battery assembles are no longer compliant if you don't have terminal covers over some of your terminals uh, which are compliant in a low voltage scenario but not in a higher voltage scenario you're going to have to cover those terminals so it's got some pretty big ramifications for the uh, for the guys making this equipment and seems counterintuitive in some ways so um yeah i guess i guess we shouldn't be surprised yeah, we shouldn't be surprised because the Australian energy industry has got a history of this. I mean, we've uh, we've imposed this reliability um, obligation of 99.998%, which basically means an average sort of outage per person per year of 11 minutes, and that's cost us an absolute fortune in sort of gold-plated grids and things, and still probably hasn't done that much for sort of, you know, your um, for all the network um, outages that happen when sort of, you know, storms come and bushfires arrive and things fall on top of lines. But um, yeah. it seems to me that um, it's just going throw a bit of an extra impediment the, the battery storage market was struggling despite some incentives um, in South Australia and Victoria and this is clearly add oh look I, I guess the estimates we hear is probably at least a thousand dollars on the installation costs it's, you know instead of having one person installing it you probably got two people installing it a bit of extra equipment mm. a bit of extra fiddling around mm. and um, as you say some people might find themselves out of the market completely um, and and the big three, I guess you could say, of the of, of the market, you know, LG, Sonnen, and Tesla, mm-hmm. um, are not happy one bit. No, and 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 if you were a manufacturer who'd invested substantial money in developing a product and you know uh, making sure that you were compliant with standards and you know using good common sense and building in appropriate levels of safety protection like everybody does, you know, in in goodwill anyway, um, you would be mighty frustrated. So um, yeah, I think. I mean, the standard is out. So the key thing here now is everyone has to work towards compliance. And certainly as an installer, you would want to be listening to some of the toolbox talks that are online or getting a copy of that standard and uh, participating in some of the forums that are out there um, so that you are at least familiar with the requirements and um, making sure that you're doing your best to comply. 
Absolutely. Um, let's move on to some other topics. Um, God, the Electrical Trades Union, we came across them a couple of um, months ago when they mm. um, tried to, to sort of impose these new standards on solar installations for large rooftop arrays and large-scale solar in um, in Queensland and uh, mm. wanted only licensed electricians handling solar modules, which um, seemed like a bit of a laugh. Um, and the court finally knocked that in the head, but um, now they're back out there calling for all new wind and solar state, um, installations to be stopped while they um, ask for a just transition um, um, process authority. in Queensland. Yeah. Mm. Authority, yeah, look, just transition is, is look, it's, it, it's something that needs to be addressed and um, it's absolutely imperative, but um, geez, it's a bit extreme to sort of uh, call for everything to be brought to a halt while, while this process goes through. Well, it certainly is. And, and um, Sophie and I talked about this while you were off swanning around on your yacht a few weeks ago and uh, we, we kind of went, oh, where is this process up to? Um, and it's pretty intriguing that they've come out and called for this and, and you know, pushed the government to get rolling with the Just Transition Authority. And I actually Googled Just Transition Authority today to try and work out what it, what, who, who are the Just Transition, what is the Just Transition Authority? And it turns out it's an idea that was put forward by the Labor government um, a year or so ago. It had earlier foundations and the idea was, the idea had good merit. It was if we're going to embrace the change in, in the energy industry and the revolution in, in uh, generation and everything else, we should have you know an, an organisation, a body that's looking after the interests of those who you know might be transitioning out of one industry and into another for example so great idea but it doesn't exist yet there's no funding there is no body there is no authority there isn't anything in place and it's unlikely to happen overnight and so for the etu to say we should stop solar until a theoretical authority is established and people are hired and they've got a budget well, that's um, that seems a little harsh, to, to say the least. Well, maybe it's part of their bargaining chip in the same way that they actually um, approached the um, the issue about who should handle solar modules on solar farms. I mean, they were clearly frustrated with a certain few situations and maybe a few cowboys operating around the back paddocks, but um, hmm. maybe that is that. And look, if, if it does, I mean, maybe the Labor government's got to get its finger out of it, um, whatever, and, um, and get on with a just transition authority because... Um, as we saw in the last election, you know, if you don't have a pathway to the transition, if you're unable to talk about where the jobs are and where the price is going to be and, and what the future is, then um, people are just going to reject it. I couldn't agree more. Um, I can't help thinking, though, that it's actually the incumbent government uh, that needs to deal with this issue, and they're a hell of a long way from uh, even agreeing that there's a transition happening around them. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a, a fairly big ask for, you know, uh, the government that isn't, or the, the um, shadow government to actually be able to get this through. They're going to need the help of the feds to actually make it work. So, um, <laughs> it, was, it was interesting, actually. Um, one of uh, Renew Economy's reporters, uh, Michael Mazengab, I said, one of our reporters now are just so big, we've got three, I've got two of them. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael uh, Mazengab went on to the um, AFR Summit, uh, Energy Summit last week, um, which is also mm. top of the town stuff. And he said it was really interesting after going to all these different sort of summits and conferences, which are mostly focused on transitions and renewables and, you know, um, the Smart Energy Summit and the Clean Energy Summit and all the All Energies, you know, conference and all that sort of thing, to sort of go back into a room full of the incumbents thinking still very much you know what the hell does my business model look like and how long can I hold on to last century's business model um, was quite uh, was quite fascinating 
So mm. um, I guess it just sort of shows just some of the issues that we've got. Um, you know, we can talk all we like about technologies, cost footfalls and the ability to, to transition. But um, well, there's a whole bunch of people out there incredibly influential and um, in the right positions with their foot in the brake, then um, it's going to be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, and I think this issue just kind of highlights it, you know, good on the ETU for applying political pressure and trying to get things rolling. But uh, let's not stop uh, the industry any, let's not make it hard, any harder than it needs to be right now. Yes. Um, With friends and, like that, who needs enemies? I've got yeah, let's, yes. let's separate the political issues here from, you know, the safety and compliance issues. They're different issues. Yeah. Hey, now listen, look, um, we've been doing this um, great little series that um, you've put together of meeting good solid people. Mm. Um, tell us about our guest today in this episode. Indeed. So uh, every uh, every episode, uh, we interview a different solar business owner. We try to find out what lessons they'd learned and how they were surviving the solar coaster. And this week, uh, we're going to hear from a solar installer turned a solar wholesaler, uh, Liam Ricketts from Supply Partners. Um, uh, he had a, a really interesting take on what it took to survive the solar coaster. And uh, let's hear what Liam had to say now. Here we are again with Meta Solar Business. Uh, this time I'm sitting with Liam Ricketts, uh, director from Supply Partners, one of the fastest growing solar wholesalers in Australia. Um, how are you, Liam? Yeah, I'm really good, Nigel. Thanks for having me, mate. You're most welcome, mate. Um, so, um, you know, as I've done with quite a few other uh, guests on this little segment, let's start um, by finding out a little bit about you and how is it that you ended up sitting here? What's the story that led to you being in a solar business and sitting here today? Mate, it all started back in 2009. Me and a couple of other guys uh, started a solar retail business, actually. We initially started uh, as a business called Future Sustainability, supplying and installing residential solar systems. Uh, come late 2011, we had a lot of opportunities with some of the big manufacturers out there to become a, an on-seller for them and landed some distribution agreements. And then we moved into 100% wholesale distribution from the start of 2012, moving forward from there. So we've uh, evolved from being who our customers are right now and once we were them so we actually understand how they feel sitting on that side of the fence and that's part of our point of difference so uh, we successfully installed thousands of residential homes a couple of small commercial buildings uh, and nowadays we're 100 percent wholesale distribution of, of solar and energy storage nice so gone through the you've gone through all the uh, the pain and and everything else that the small guys have gone through what's um you know apart from swanning around here uh, at, a, at the smart energy conference and um, waiting for networking drinks uh, when you get back to real business tomorrow what's the what's the biggest opportunity what's the thing that um, is um, swamping you with excitement and opportunity right now look uh, there's a lot of opportunities in the commercial space for us so we have a slogan with our business that we we do stand behind which is we're not just a box mover we move uh, and we provide technical support now we do a lot of design support for people doing commercial industrial uh, PV systems but we're starting to really work with some of our customers in regards to commercial industrial energy storage uh, so we've got a couple of really great products from uh, ABB and from SunGrow Samsung SDI uh, where we've got now megawatt scale uh, commercial energy storage. So I see that as a really exciting opportunity for our business. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, what's the secret to your company's success, Liam? Mate, that we're not just a box mover. 
and we truly do provide technical support. So we have, I think we have a little bit of a higher cost of doing business to some of our competitors. We have engineers and technical staff on in our company, uh, but when somebody calls us up, they know that they can get the answer on not just how much is this product going to cost and when is it going to get shipped to me, but how does that product inside the box work. Um, Really interesting thing we have happen is a lot of people contact us who don't use us for day-to-day business that maybe use another wholesaler who provides them a good service when it comes to just delivering their modules or their inverters or batteries to them efficiently, but then they've gone and had to ask them something complex about monitoring or about energy storage or about uh, network protection relays or some contactors, Wi-Fi, all these technical areas that some of our competitors don't have a clue. And they ring us up and they say, look, we understand you guys are experts in this area. And when they ring us with that question, we have a chance to, to talk to them about general supply as well. Uh, very good, very good. Um, uh, in the in the big wide world, uh, looking around the globe, looking at business, thinking about your business, who's the person or, or the business that most inspires you? That you most think, geez, I'd like to I'd like to emulate what they do. Look, man, I'm a young entrepreneur. I've always uh, loved Richard Branson. He's been one of my my favourite entrepreneurs there from Virgin. Um, as much as uh, as much as Tesla is a competitor to me because they're very direct and I sell LG Chem when it comes to energy storage. I have to say that um, he's helping drive change, Elon Musk, so you know he's, he's not a bad uh, entrepreneur to look at as well, but Richard Branson would be my favourite entrepreneur. Yeah, great, great. Uh, what's, the, what's the single best uh, investment decision you made for your business? Uh, coming into the great solar industry. Um, you know, I've, in the past I'd been in sustainability. I was in, um, in rainwater tanks actually before I started in solar PV. Um, I've loved coming into this industry. I'm, I'm a young businessman. I've been in the industry for 10 years now. Um, you know, that's just been one of my best decisions coming into the industry. Um, one of the best internal decisions in recent times would be technology. Um, so implementing uh, an ERP into the business and, and moving with the times uh, and becoming more uh, systemised in the business would be a good internal decision. Mm-hmm. Um, what lesson took you the longest to learn? Uh, I think it was investment in technology internally in the business. We grew from uh, being a smaller business 10 years ago where you have older technology and older softwares that don't talk to each other and it's easier to hold on to those and some of the new businesses coming out of the ground just launch with these brilliant integrated uh, software platforms. Uh, it took us a long time to hit the button. Big big financial investment but I think um, that lesson took a long time to learn and you know, we're really happy we invested in that technology and now we're, we're a lot more advanced in um, our ability to be able to deliver product uh, efficiently uh, accurately on time so now we can accurately look at okay somebody needs this this project delivered in three months time we know we have a two-month lead time from the manufacturer uh, we need to make sure that that product is is quarantined for that customer and is available for delivery when the site uh, is ready to accept the goods um, so our ability to deliver uh, on time and accurately has come light years ahead of where it was 10 years ago uh, and nowadays we can we can guarantee delivery on projects which is so important it's not just about whether you can buy the cheapest panel or inverter uh, the cost of having to change logistics or or change things around is huge so oh, fantastic that's uh, we hear that theme a lot actually uh, about the need for automation and everything else um, what was um, um, what did you think was true when you started in business that turned out not to be true 
when I started in business? That's a, that's a really hard question, mate. Um, how about I'd give you something? What did I what did I hear was true that has not turned out to be true in recent times? Okay. Uh, something just popped into my mind because you've caught me off guard. There would be peer to peer trading, blockchain trading for energy storage. Um, I heard that and thought that's that's going to be there next year, probably two or three years ago when we started hearing about blockchain. Um, energy trading uh, with energy storage at your home. Um, I thought that'd be something that's getting done today. Um, I still think it's another couple of years away, unfortunately, but I think those platforms are starting to get built by companies like GreenSync and so forth. Um, I think that truly is the future, uh, that we'll be able to have our battery at our home, maybe our EV that's plugged in at home, and have that be able to discharge onto the network uh, and, and trade just like the big polluters trade or the big solar farms trade or the big gigawatt battery down in South Australia trades. Um, I think we'll all be able to trade like that just from our home. So I thought that was true. It didn't turn out to be true yet, but I think it will be soon. Brilliant. Great answer. Great answer. Uh, If you could change one thing about the entire solar industry in Australia, what would it be? I would uh, get rid of rooftop isolators tomorrow. Rooftop isolators, there you have it. Uh, and last question, what do you think your business will look like in five years? Project yourself forward. Uh, um, what will you be? How will you look? Uh, I think our business will evolve more as a technical business. I think we will have um, more ability to be able to help people deliver complex projects. I think the commercial industrial energy storage is the start of that. So I think five years is a pretty short amount of time really when it comes to looking forward in business. And I think in over the next three to five years, I think we're really gonna help people implement implement, uh, large commercial industrial energy storage projects. I don't think it's gonna be as easy for solar businesses to move like they have from residential solar to commercial solar. um, Because essentially residential PV and commercial PV are a pretty similar beast. Uh, there's some more complexities with, with network protection and switch gear and higher voltage systems, but you're really looking at PV generation and matching it with load or, or export. When it comes to commercial and industrial energy storage, it is a lot more complex area looking at, are we dealing with demand? Are we dealing with KVAR? Are we dealing with just reducing kilowatt hours? Uh, it's a lot more complex, um, a lot more analysis needs to be done, and I think that's um, that's our future over the next five years. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Liam, thanks so much for spending time with us. Enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you, mate. Cheers. And that was Liam Ricketts from Supply Partners, and um, I feel a bit embarrassed, Nigel, because I've been writing about peer-to-peer trading and blockchain, but um, still yet to emerge really in any great de- detail or quantity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's been a really interesting space, and Liam touched on that. Um, you know, uh, he he thought it was coming a bit sooner as well, and you know, we've made some investments and uh, and business decisions, thinking that it was going to be uh, perhaps more visible and more important, but not quite there yet. I was also interested to hear how you know software advanced software has become a critical business tool for anyone in solar now you know and um uh for particularly if you're a large wholesaler like the guys up at supply partners then you know you you really can't operate a business without making some very substantial investments in software these days so different challenges for different businesses but always interesting to hear how people are surviving Yes, and I guess I'm just a little think about the blockchain and the peer-to-peer trading again. Again, this is sort of something that's a bit of a victim to the inertia and the change in the market rules. And um, you know, just what we were sort of talking about before the um, interview about the you know the, the business summit, the energy summit, and all the incumbents there, and um, not quite willing to move um, just yet. Um, mate, um, Crapsol, have we got anything? Crapsol, 
Yes, we do. We do because we have to give a big shout out to uh, the live Solar Insiders podcast that we're going to be recording next week at All Energy. And the topic I want to talk about is crap solar. Uh-huh. And what are we going to be telling people? Well, what, we, what I actually want to do, and we've invited a couple of, um, couple of really interesting people to come and sit on the panel. Um, what I want to do is actually look at the issue and, say, and, and talk about what we can actually do to stop it. We, we all talk about it. We see examples of it every day, every week. Um, uh, certainly, if you're out there as an installer, you're stumbling across it all the time. And so, um, you know, what I really want to try and do is, and, and there are a lot of people who threw their hands up to be involved, so I hope they'll come and be in the audience and give us their views and opinions. Um, but what I really want to talk about is, is I, I actually want to do a workshop and go, what what can we really do? What what can we do to make a difference and try and slow down or stop crap solar so that's our crap crap solar story for the week is uh, please come to all energy uh to the live solar insiders um uh, podcast and participate and help us try and see if we can't come up with some ideas no, that's a good idea. Yeah, look, um, one of the people that keeps on sort of sending me emails sort of relentlessly, and um, I don't think he's a very nice person. He doesn't agree with the um, energy transition, but he keep, he's just Genius. got a habit. He's just, he's just got Taylor a, again, you're talking Well, it could well be, actually. <laughs> he's just got into the habit now of um, of sending me just sort of installations of just really crap installs. And, oh, yeah. um, God, um, anyway. Um, hey, yeah, well, not... I mean, the, the interesting thing about this, and I've, I've been doing a little bit of background research getting ready, and, um, you know, it was funny. I was listening on the, on the news this morning, listening to the financial services industry uh, complaining about, um, you know, shonks and shysters and, and people who are bringing down the quality of the financial services sector by behaving inappropriately and all that kind of stuff. We've got to remember, it's not just our industry. Um, every industry has its share of it. The key is how do you respond, how do you react, how do you avoid over-regulation, but also also put in place enough stuff to protect consumers and uh, that's the conversation we want to have absolutely and if we got rid of all the shonks and the shysters then we might not have many people left in parliament house but maybe that would be a good thing anyway <laughs> hey just by the by um fascinating we did we did a little story today um oh this week um the um oh who are they the hemsworths i don't know how many people live in this ridiculous oh, yes. thing that was one hell of a solar system to sit in the um on, on a household rooftop i mean i guess we worked it out to be roughly about 40 kilowatts but we couldn't quite identify 70 the panels. i calculated 70 you calculated 70 i think you might have actually counted some things which weren't actually solar panels and might have been oh, something really? else but um oh. yeah it's not too sure what they were oh, okay but um um anyway somewhere between 40 and 70 kilowatts so i guess if you've got a 50 meter pool a um a games room a uh, 10 bathrooms um and um a theater and um god knows what else then a lot of air conditioning of no doubt a couple of charges for the teslas the teslas didn't ask see this is what we need to know of course you're gonna have a tesla. how many teslas have, have, they, have they got how many electric vehicles yeah. yeah yeah no look i've i it wouldn't surprise me f- sort of 50 to 70 kilowatts would be about the mark i've um i've helped a number of clients uh and actually not that long ago had to go and visit a um Another very, very famous Australian, um, uh, one of their homes, and do some calculations for them and look at what they were going to be running.
going and they had three Teslas that they wanted to charge. They had, you know, six or seven electric hot water systems. They had a pool pump. They had pool heating. Uh, they had ducted air conditioning through the whole place. And before we before we knew it, we, we needed 50 to 70 kilowatts of PV on the roof. Um, and even then, we weren't really going to touch the sides. So some of these very, very large homes are prodigious users of energy. So, yeah, How 50 to 70 kilowatts. Oh, he's very famous. <laughs> You're not going to tell us, are you? <laughs> very famous. No, can't tell Sworn you. Sworn to secrecy. Yeah. Oh, well, just look for a man driving three Teslas and um, he's the one. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. yeah. No, we, we come and we see it every now and again. We, we have some Uber users of, uh, of our monitoring uh, d- uh, dashboard. And uh, there's a couple in there particularly who I keep watching with, with great interest because there are you know, multiple electric vehicles and very, very substantial facilities um, so there are certainly quite. It wouldn't be the first time someone's put seventy kilowatts on a residential home. And if you're going to put seventy kilowatts on a residential home, you can't really export anything like that. In fact, ninety-five percent of it you probably couldn't export. So you need a bloody big battery to put it all in, I suppose. Yeah, you want to whack some batteries in. You probably want to be uh, running your uh, hot water systems on on uh, controllers or timers of some sort. Good thing is when you get to a house of that level, there's usually a really good level of sophistication. So um, you can actually do some really clever stuff with control. And um, I'm actually going up to Byron um, in a couple of weeks for another Solar Social on Wednesday the 30th, which is a great little event. And um, I'm going to have a bit of a sniff around with some of the local solar guys, try and see if I can find out who installed Chris Hemsworth's system. <sighs> we'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you got the word. <laughs> I think I'm going to turn up to the solar social and find out as well. Um, yeah, excellent. Mate, um, what else is happening? Are we moving well, on to EVs now? Yeah, I think, you know... Um, <sighs> Certainly the market um, is bubbling along quite nicely from what I hear out there. Um, for us, we're, um, we're in the run-up to all energy and there's been a, a, a flurry of activity and, and particularly suppliers getting their events all, all ready and packing their trunks and getting all their stuff shipped off like us. We've got to coordinate 20 staff who are going to be down there this year and I Good think grief. there's six presentations I'm involved with in some degree or another and a whole lot of events and some good times and try and sell a bit of stuff in between so um, uh, certainly for a lot of people in the industry this lead up to all energy is all about the lead up to all energy yes. at least from our perspective we've taken yeah. a breath because the, sh- the truck left this morning so oh, and look and just in case you're stuck in Sydney and I'm um, still looking for something to do at the end of the week there's also the Australian Electric Vehicle Association's conference um, or sort of expo more like a bit of both really um, yes. out at Sydney Olympic Park so yes. um um, there'll be some interesting presentations there as well, just about um, different stuff that um, people can look at. So yeah, that's at the end of next next week, I think. So what's the twenty third and twenty fourth for all? Yeah, Saturday, Saturday and Sunday. And Sunday. So, yeah, um, yeah. I um, it's my wedding anniversary on Saturday, Joel. So I'm trying to work out how to work that one. <laughs> um, I think um, I, don't, I don't think it happens. Not John, but the, the wedding anniversary happens. But um, um, day two, I understand of the conference is going to be very exciting. So, is it? Oh, maybe I can slip out to day two then. Yeah, one of my I, Tesla buddies invited me to come for a spin out there in his uh, in his Tesla. So I'm looking forward to that. God, sounds like you got lots of Tesla buddies now, mate. So, yes. Yeah, I know. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. But, uh, <laughs> Oh, I've got an electric motorbike, kind of, I guess. Um, should we talk? Speaking of electric motorbikes, can we talk about Harley? We can talk about Harley. 
So interesting news this week because the uh, Harley Davidson uh, f- almost four four years ago now started um, dragging their Livewire fully electric Harley Davidson around the world. Lots and lots of opportunities for Harley owners and other owners to test ride them and get lots of feedback, and then spent several years working on the development of the product before they finally launched it. And uh, this week we hear um, they uh, well sorry on, on October second. They actually announced that they were starting to arrive at dealers in the US, and so we've been eagerly awaiting uh, an owner to pop up on one of the one of the electric motorcycle forums. Haven't found one yet. Um, it actually showed a photo on the tweet of the first live wire bike that was rolled off the line in Pennsylvania. Um, so very very exciting. Um, however, what we also uh, heard this week, uh, well, there's been several stories. So firstly. Um, interest is really high. Uh, uh, Reuters uh, interviewed a number of different Harley-Davidson dealers uh, to try and get a, a sense of whether the bikes were selling and what was going on, and interest was really, really high. However, the price, at which is $29,000 US, um, was stopping everyone in their tracks, and so they've been quite hard to sell initially. And, and you only get two wheels with that, don't you? Yeah, two wheels is enough. Giles, that's more than enough. Just to be clear about that, four is just a waste of rubber. So uh, yeah, two is plenty, um, but the price is high. It's you know it's almost double uh, a zero or any number of other electric motorcycles. It's one of the most expensive electric bikes out there. Um, however, it's it's you know come from a, a high. A highly experienced manufacturer. Um, however, um, this week, uh, sadly, there was an announcement by Harley Davidson today. In fact, um, that they um, have asked users to not charge the bikes. They have identified a potential charging problem. The bikes that are out at dealers are going to go back to the factory. They have paused construction. The the, uh, the construction line has been stopped, and um, there's a problem somewhere with the charger uh, on the bike or, or the charger or something to do with the charging that's all we know no that sounds like a little underprepared it does and and you know the forums are going off with it saying geez they had three or four years to get this right what's possibly gone wrong and you know there were all sorts of things you know it, it could just be a connector or a plug or something it could be the changes that we're seeing in the charging standards and networks and that there's you know different different equipment out there now and that they you know got a problem with interface controls or something I don't know uh, but a bit of a blow let's hope um, let's not forget that Charlie Borman and Ewan McGregor are out there on a couple of live wires right now, um, uh, you know, trying to do 10,000 kilometres from South America to North America on a couple of live wires. So um, hopefully they're okay and they got the tweet to let them know to get some service somewhere. Absolutely, uh, put that chances. motorcycle in the bunker. Yeah, yeah. So it's going. It's the analysts are watching this one really, really closely because you know, um, if Harley can be successful, and so far they're really battling a bit, but if they can be successful and convert their owners and riders, then you know there's hope for the whole segment. But um, so far they're saying they reckon they might sell 400 bikes in the first year, which is not very many. Doesn't sound like very many, and sounds like a uh, not a great return on all the investment that's 
well, presumably been put into it, but maybe not quite enough if they've got problems with um, simple matter of charging the battery. Yeah, look, and I th- I'm sure they'll get over that, um, but it does it does highlight the you know the ele- electronic complexity um, uh, that is involved. Um, speaking of which, um, the other one to pull the pin on electric manufacturing um, of vehicles was Dyson this week, which came as a big surprise to everyone. Um, you put a story up about this one, I think. Absolutely, yeah. No, he's going to have a. He's um, he thought he'd invented the most perfect motor car, sort of to go hand in hand with his most perfect um, vacuum cleaner, and wanted to spend a couple of billion dollars in Singapore, but in the end, couldn't work out how it was going to make money, which is really interesting. Which um, I guess just goes well to me. It just tells me more about you know just how successful Elon Musk has been with Tesla to come from nowhere and to sort of you know arrive and and deliver a new um, electric vehicle or a series of electric vehicles. Um, Dyson decided it was all too hard and left it in the hands of the established manufacturers. So um, mm. yeah, pretty interesting stuff. It is, and and you know I think you're right on the money there, and it's interesting to see Dyson sort of making a really you know, hard-nosed business decision, if you like, that it's not mature. Um, you know, there's not much money to be made in this space at this point in time. It is definitely an early adopter product. They've got to be expensive or you've got to lose money to make them cheap. And, you know, um, you're seeing all sorts of strategies out there from all sorts of companies trying to do that. But it is still really, really hard going. And, you know, I have to say I'm disappointed in Dyson and I throw massive kudos at the, the, the Teslas, the Zero Motorcycles, um, uh, the Fonzarellis, uh, all, of those, uh, all of those companies that are early into the market who are clearly burning money and in making long-term investments and doing the hard yards, I'm disappointed that Dyson hasn't jumped in and made an investment in this industry as well, to be frank, because there are a lot of other people who are willing to do it and, and, and good on them. Um, um, yeah, you know, could, have, could have made the vacuuming a lot more interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just gonna, I'm just going to point out too, um, just on the subject of electric vehicles, we've had some really interesting um, stories um, sent into us by various contributors um, over the last week or so. Um, you know, remember Scott Morrison and the EVs will destroy the weekend. So um, mm. the long weekend was a couple of weekends ago and um, various people took out their Teslas and their Konas and their Nissan Leafs and have reported back on their experience and how they've managed to sort of negotiate the weekend and, um, you know, the rather sort of, you know, the lack of infrastructure, um, charging infrastructure that's there. So um, actually proved really popular, really interesting article. So, um, um, oh, that damn digging of my um, email. Oh, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. I'm sorry about this. Um, I don't know. It's actually not the email. It's the the, uh, message system. Um, Anyway. Yes. um, Time to thank our sponsors, um, Solar Analytics and... um, and, um, Sunwiz, PV cell by Sunwiz. Um, thanks for the ongoing support. And um, you want to leave an important message about how we can sort of upvote this podcast and, and the other podcasts for that matter um, on your favourite platform. Yeah, don't forget to give us a review. You've got to do it on iTunes. Um, don't ask why. It's just how it is. Uh, so search for Solar Insiders when you find it. Click on the show, which opens up the playlist. Go all the way to the bottom where you'll see the place where reviews show up. And then you can give us a star rating and leave us a comment. We'd really love that if you would show us your support and make us the number one top ranking solar podcast in the, I don't know, the universe. In the world. Right? In the universe. Oh, let's go, let's yeah, go bigger. We've got, yes. we got a lot of T-shirts. Well, don't we've got a lot of T-shirts. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Are they going to all energy? Uh, you never know.
You never know. Never you never know. know. Okay. Well, look. Um, so, all energy is the big thing next week. Um, yeah, can't we, wait. So, there'll be a special podcast um, from there, from from the live event, which we'll then upload, and um, and then we'll be back in a couple of weeks for a review of that and um, and uh, more discussion. So, uh, Nigel, great to catch up. You too, mate. Always great. Okay. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by SunWiz, the creators of PV Cell Software. Powerful technology for solar sales and design with free high-definition rooftop imagery in every PV cell plan. Retailers can stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar software. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.